0: morning. Thank you for being part of today. Wow, uh, a lot of you came, and I'm glad. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. It's terrific to see you guys uh, came out. You, you uh, weathered the weather, I guess. So it's been ups and downs and crazy and all that kind of stuff. A few months ago, I was, I was out, out front um, talking to some guys, in, and since this is a surfing community, um, there's a group of guys that surf a lot, and, and one guy invited me to go surfing with him. He did, yeah. And uh, I said, well, I, I don't know how to do it. And he said, I'll teach you. I said, I don't have a board. And he said, well, you borrow mine. He said, well, the water's too cold. And he said, I have wet suits. <laughs> and I said, uh, I'm too old. <laughs> and he said, I can't help that. <laughs> but then he said, there's lots of old guys out there. And, and finally, I said, the real reason, I'm scared. <laughs> you know, I am scared to get out there. Um, that's the bottom line, because I, I, I kind of am. Waves that look not that big from shore, when you get in the water, they grow quite quite a bit. I grew up in Southern California, and we used to body surf um, Laguna and, and Newport, and things were really different then. I was younger and much more, more limber, but we all knew one thing, and, and we had respect for the ocean, because waves have power. I mean, they do. They have a lot of force and mass and, and and BTUs, all those kinds of things that are coming straight straight at you. And if you're not ready and if you're not prepared, um, they can knock you down. But if you can, and if you can get on it, um, there's a lot that goes on, and there's a lot of fun with it. Today we're going to spend a few minutes talking about and kicking off our new wave emphasis and. And, you know, we have flyers and we're going to get magnets and talk about those a little bit later on. And we have all kinds of stuff that's going on as we look at the future. But, but really today I want to spend some time talking a little bit about kind of why we're doing this. And the way we're going to approach that is, is look at who we are as, as really as a church family and, and why I believe God is calling us to, what we're calling it, you know, ride the wave or ride the next wave or jump on, on the new wave. I want to talk a little bit about that just so we can kind of say together, yeah, Okay, God, work in us and work, work through me. Would you take a second and pray with me as we move into this? Lord, thank you now for these moments. and Just give us the right words, me the right words, and Holy Spirit, work here in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first got here as, as pastor, um, actually I came from South Florida, I spent a few years there, and, and, I, and, I, and I really needed to understand the coast side. Coast side was very different. Northern California is different, the coast side is different than where I grew up in Southern California. And so I really wanted to kind of get to know and understand the people and the culture and the lifestyle and all that, and, and so I went door knocking. I would go door to door you know, doing that. Now, that's a hard thing to do, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of introverted and knocking on a strange door is, is, is really tough. And, and, but it was important for me to do that. Um, I wouldn't go to invite them to church, but to figure out the people. And I just wanted to figure out the people. And so I, you know, I did Clipper Ridge and Frenchman's Creek and, and I, You know I just went to different places around the coast side to kind of, kind of just hundreds of doors I, I knocked on. And, and, and I'd say, my name is Paul, and, and I'm a new pastor of a fairly new church in town. And I'm, I like to do just an incredibly short survey. And sometimes the survey would be shorter than I thought, as they slammed the door on my face, <laughs> like we're done, we're done, we're done, we're done here, and 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 um, a lot of times people would say, I don't want to talk to you because because I hate organized religion, and I thought, well, that just kind of verifies a little bit what I thought about the co side side anyway. But if they say okay, I'd, I'd ask, um, do you really regularly attend a church? Do you do you attend a church or, or not? And and if they said yes, I'd say great keep going, survey's over, you know, thank you for your time, and and, I, and I'd walk away. But if they say no, I, I'd, I'd ask, okay, if I can ask you just a couple more questions, and, and I, I'd ask, why do you think most people don't attend church? Now, again, I knew that they weren't going to church, and so instead of asking, well, why don't you go, and they'd get mad at me for that, I'd, I asked, why do you think most people don't go, and they would give me their reason anyway, and so I would be able to get that, and, I, and I'd write down their answer. And, and, and what I found as I, as I went back and I tallied some things up and tried to figure it out best I could, um, um, it really backed up statistics that I, I fairly much already knew and had read, that 95% of co-siders don't attend church. means when I knocked on doors, only one out of 20 doors or households would say, yes, we are part of, 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 a, of a church that we would go to regularly. This is one of the highest unchurched areas in the country or not, and Those of you that have moved from other places know that on Sunday morning, a lot more people go to church and attend or or more focused on their growth in God than they are on, on the coast side. And, and here I was trying to get people to um, um, be part of something that um, I was wanting to, to get going and, and something that, believe it or not, is really, really, really on the heart of Jesus. Jesus has this thing about churches. He really does. He made this statement. He said, I I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I mean, he said, my personal mission is I'm going to build this thing called the church. And hell's powers, hell's gates can't stop it. So the church is not our idea. It's not just something we made up, you know, so you could have to miss football in the fall. You know, it's not that kind of a thing. Or it's not so we could teach our you know, children that little, you know, here's the church, remember that, here's a steeple, open the door, here's all the people, hey, they're waving, you know, all that kind of stuff. We not do that. That's not why we, we do that. Listen to what the value of the church is according to Jesus. He said, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a, a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Now, that's also called sometimes the bride of Christ, and brides are important. And so, obviously, this thing called church, whatever shape, form, building it meets in, or household it meets in, is of high value to him. And, and what I found in my very non-scientific survey, uh, as, I, as I walked around, um, most people on the coast were against what churches had become. They didn't like political, they didn't like backbiting, They didn't like churches becoming little cliques, you know, that part of it, a little club, you know, it's us four no more, that kind of a thing. They thought it was too institutionalized, too judgmental, too formal, and too irrelevant. And any of those words and any of those descriptions certainly can't be what Jesus had in mind because who wants to go to a place like that? And it certainly wasn't what I, I wanted either. Book of Revelation, I don't know if you've ever, ever read it or not, it's really cool because it has all kinds of imagery in it and most people are familiar with uh, the images of that kind of stuff. There's beasts and there's dragons and there's harlots and there's heaven and hell and lakes of fire and all these kinds of things that are going on. In fact, if you were to ever lead a youth group, you know, high school kids or even middle school kids and you say, well, let's study the Book of the Bible. What Book of the Bible do you want to study? 100% of the time, they will tell you Revelation, 100%, you know, because they really want to get into all that kind of stuff and all that imagery. You ask them, it's so cool. And the beasts and the dragons, though, don't come on until a little bit later as you're reading through the book. The first part of the book of Revelation is about, anyone know? It's about churches. It is about churches. It's about seven seven churches that are there. And, and, and that's what I want to spend time on, and you're saying, boy, Paul, with all the you know, beasts and lights of fire, you're going to do the boring part, and I am, but that's just the way we're going to do it. And and there's an imagery there that the churches are actually represented by golden lampstands. John writes it down, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as if, as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last, I'm the living one, I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. Now that would be, of course, who? That'd be Jesus, right, Jesus, the one who died and lives forever and ever. But look what it said. It said, standing in the middle of the lampstands. And the lampstands, again, are what? They're the seven churches, and we have Jesus now standing in the midst of these seven churches. And and the, the takeaway from that for all of us is, and it's kind of a higher concept, but we can bring it down to us, it means that Jesus is present in his churches. Not just, not just those churches, but every church, this church right now. Jesus is here with us. Jesus and his power and his work is an active part of what's going on here now. So when you were singing, when you were taking communion, Jesus is part of that. Paying attention to what goes on here. I mean paying close attention Because if you keep reading, Jesus describes each church in detail. Each church in detail. He'll say, for instance, write this to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city. And he would say, I know. I know this. I know that about you. You know, I, I, I know your pastor. He's kind of dull, you know, and I know that this happens and I know that happens. But he would say, I know what's going on here. I know you're good people. I know you've gone through a lot. You've experienced a whole lot of stuff. And then he would say, write this to the church in Smyrna, another sit town. And Jesus would say, I know. I know what you're experiencing. Don't be afraid. You're faithful people. Now, that also tells me not only is Jesus fully aware of what's going on here in your life, in your heart, but also it tells me that each church is going to be different. Ephesus was different than Smyrna, which is different than Stockton, which is going to be different than Half Moon Bay. Our church is different than the church down the street. In fact, our church is different than any other church in the world. You know that? We are incredibly unique, not necessarily better. I mean, I, I'm biased. I think we are, but, but we're, we're different. And that becomes because we're made up of a whole bunch of different people like you and each of you that when you bring something in, you bring yourself, and God works in your life, and that kind of creates this whole little chemical thing or whatever. And when we come together, we are a, a unique thing, part of this whole thing called the church, but a unique statement here in Half Moon Bay. Now, I, I thought about this because if Jesus knows what's going on in each church, and he's fully aware of that, and each church is different, if Jesus were to write a letter to us, to us, which would include you and me, what, what words would he use? What would he say about Mariner's Church in Half Moon Bay? You know, to the, to the angel of the church in Half Moon Bay, this is what I want to write. What words would you use, in fact, to describe this place? And, and and I have some words that I would just simply like to share, and, and I hope that this will be true for us as we move forward, not just with this new wave thing, but, man, for the rest, for a long, long, long long time. One evening a bunch of years ago, um, we were having a, a leadership team meeting. This is our steering team, and there were about five or six of us back then, and this was, again ancient times, and, and, and there are only like four, or five, or six of us. And, and, and a Thursday night they came, and as they showed up, I was waiting in the parking lot instead of the office for them. And, and when they came, I, I, I had a, a, a minivan there, and the doors were, were, were wide open. And when they came, I said, just hang right here. I said, because we're going to take a road trip. You know, road trip, road trip, yeah. you know, So, so we, 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 we piled into the minivan, and I, and I pulled out a tape recorder. Do any of you not know what a tape recorder is? <laughs> so yeah. pretty soon there's going to be people that are going to raise their hand because your, your kids, well, your grandkids will not know what tape recorders are. Real tapes, all that kind of stuff, a little cassette tape recorder. And I told them that we were going to go for a drive. And I had already mapped out a few places, you know, in my head on where we were going to go. And, and I said, what we're going to do is we're going to drive to certain places and I'm going to turn on the tape recorder and I'm just going to record what, what we say. And, and, and so, so we drove to Hilltop Mobile Home Park, you know, up there on 92 and we stopped. And I said, hey, let's just take a second, just take a second and look around, look around. and and, and tell me what you see. And I had the tape recorder on. You know, I I turned it on, and and they talked about what they saw. They saw this. They saw that. You know, they saw work trucks. They saw tricycles around. They saw, you know, kids playing, and they saw these things here. And and then I asked, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, Who lives here? What kind of people live here? And what are their their needs? And what are their worries? What are their joys? What gives them joy in life? What keeps them up at night and then and then and then after we finished we, we got we, we, we drove down to Alsace-Lorraine this is when alsace lorraine was under construction by the way there's a lot of new houses being built up there The place was getting getting get, getting huge and I said well what do you see here who lives here um, what are their needs and what are their worries and their joys what keeps them up at night and then we, we just crossed Kelly and we went behind Three Amigos, the neighborhoods behind there, parked, and um, same questions, you know, same tape recorder. Then we drove into Ocean Colony, and uh, same questions, what do you see, who lives here, what are their needs, what are their worries, their joys, what keeps them up at night? I came back and, and, and we talked a lot about kind of what we experienced realized that we were incredibly diverse cosite, very, very, very diverse here. And we also realized that God has called us here to reach a very diverse group of people. And we also realized that we were kind of hitting only a very small slice, a really small segment of our cosite people. And so we prayed. And we prayed, God, open our eyes and let us see. And I would like to say that Jesus would say to us, that we are a church that sees people. I mean, sees people. I would like Jesus to say, I know you, Mariners. You, you see people. Um, I hope you're doing the 30-day devotional. I hope you are. This is day five. Um, this is the fifth, and, and it's really cool. And, and boy, the author of that just did a remarkable job in putting this whole thing together. And, and it's going through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and, and man, the first few verses... I would just fly through them, but we're going through them slowly in time. And Nehemiah was a guy living in comfort, but once he began to see people, his heart, when I want to say broke, that's the wrong word. I want to say his heart wasn't broken. His heart was probably, for the first time in his life, finally made right because he began to hurt for people, people that were struggling, because I think that's how God designs our hearts. So we as a church began to say, what kind of a place would it take so that people from all these places we visited would feel welcome? But also they'd be able to understand the vernacular of what's going on here, because a lot of people, man, the coast side is different. Um, a lot of people here, they didn't just quit going to church when they were 12 or 13 or 14. Their parents or their grandparents stopped going to church when they were 12 or 13. So we're talking about second, third generation of people that have never stepped foot in a church ever in their lives. And so if we ask them when they come in, I said, okay, turn your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. First of all, number one, they've never looked at a Bible in their life, and they didn't bring one. <coughs> Even if they did bring one or we gave them one, they have no idea how to find Ezekiel. I said, wow, we've got to do something to help reach people that are having a spiritual hunger in their life, but don't know quite how to get there because we've basically said if you come in here, you have to be at this level to really understand what's going on here. So we made some changes. And we also really made some changes, not only just simply in the way we do things, but also in the way we talk about things and we talk about people. And I always want to embed in this church um, what was said today in the devotion that we would, when we look at people, we would feel the heart of God towards everybody. The person that's in front of you in line at Safeway, that their little chip card doesn't work, you know, when you're late, that you would feel the heart of God towards that person. The person that's bothering you, you know, in your neighborhood, that you would feel the heart of God towards them. You'd see people as people. Through that, there came a sense, and, and this is the second word that we are really called. The great story of Esther, Esther is in the Old Testament, and, and again, as I would mentioning through Joshua, whenever you open the Old Testament, apart from the book of Job, whenever you open the Old Testament and you look, it's really God revealing who he is and what he's like through the nation of Israel. And that's true with the book of Esther. Esther is a beauty queen, and she lives in the capital, and the king Caesar, and brings her into his harem. She's, by the way, um, an Israelite, and she becomes the king's favorite. He makes her his queen, and you got to read the whole thing because there's a good guy and a bad guy, and, a, and the king, and, and, and all this kinds of stuff. But the bad guy wants to kill all the Israelite people, and Esther's an Israelite. And she doesn't know what to do, and so she goes to her uncle, and her uncle coaches her with words that I would love to embed into us. He says this, who knows if perhaps you were made queen, and here comes the word for such a time as this. Her beauty was not there so that she could eventually make it under the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or to have guys look at her. Her beauty was there for one purpose, that would be to save the Israelites, for such a time as this, there's a sense of calling in this, you know, and I think there should always be a sense of calling for us as a church family and and for some strange reason God's built up mariners you know in a really cool way and brought incredible people, you guys here, and phenomenal resources and and we stand on God's word, the Bible, we believe it's true, and we have a message of salvation through Christ alone. And and, and I sometimes say, and this is not an arrogant statement, and, and I know the churches are doing some great things, but in some areas, in some research, in some ways, since we have, I guess, some leverage, if we don't do it, who will? Next word kind of leans on that one. And that's the word expectation. One time I had a prayer time, and and, and you know, I just want to get some people together to pray, and and so I didn't know how many people are going to come, you know, and it's going to do a monthly thing, and so I set up twelve chairs. What the heck? Jesus had 12 disciples. I'll set up 12 chairs. You know, who knows? And, and 12 people showed up. And I said, well, that worked out. Oh, okay. So the next month we did it, and I, and I didn't know. I thought well, we're going to grow a little bit. So I set up 16 chairs, and 16 people showed up. And I thought, wow, I'm going to roll. You know, this is good. And next month I set up 20, and, and actually 21 showed up. So God kind of humbled me a little bit that way. But I started thinking, wait a second, there's a pattern going on here. You know, how many chairs I set up? About that many people come. So the next week I set up 500 chairs, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> doesn't work that way, but there's a principle, and Jesus said it, okay? According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, that works in a whole bunch of different ways. It works in your life. It works in, in my life. And It works in this church's life. But, but the question could, would be, according to your faith, let it be done. What are you expecting God to do? If it's not very much, then guess what God's going to probably do? What? Not very much. If you're expecting God to do something bigger, then guess what God is now Least to do, God will begin to do something a whole lot bigger. In fact, I tell that to the staff on Thursdays. We have a staff meeting on Thursdays, and, and one of the questions is, and I put a little piece of paper um, up, and, and one of the questions on it is, What are you expecting God to do through your ministry this weekend? And I tell them, You better have something to say. Because if you're not expecting God to do anything, then probably nothing's going to happen. I just met with Caitlin. Um, she was beaming. Um, she works for our children's minister. She's our children's director. And she said, I was expecting God to bring five children to Christ this weekend. And in the first service in the children's ministry, five kids made a decision for Christ. There we go. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's only the first service. So, God's not obligated to do anything this service. So, we're all done with that. (laughs) Just kidding. On that one. But but if you're not expecting God to do very much, you probably won't be able to. You won't. We won't, and if you're expecting God to do a whole lot, then he'll do a whole lot. Let's take just the issue of your own life, forgiving somebody. If you don't expect God to work in your life to forgive, you probably won't. How many times have I talked to people, and they have said, I will never be able to forgive them. I just can't. I will never be able to forgive that person for what they did, you know, and I've heard that again and again. You may have said it. You may have heard it, and faith begins to leak out, but I, I tell them, you know what? If you walk over to their house to forgive them and believe God will give it to you, I will guarantee 10 out of 10 times you will get there and you will have forgiven them. Why? It's because you're taking action on your faith. You're taking steps on your faith. There's an expectation there. And I thought about this for our church. And I thought, what are we expecting God to do and how are we preparing for it? Because if we don't prepare, then why should he do anything at all? Why would God bring more people to us than we're able to touch? Why would he do that? Why would he bring youth to us if we can't minister to youth? Why, why would he do that? He won't. And so we need to then say, God, I'm expecting you to bring youth in. Therefore, we're going to bring in a youth director. I was asked a couple years ago um, by our steering team, where, where do you see Mariners in a few years? I said, well, in a few years, I want us to be a place that's ministering to 800 co-siders on a weekly basis, 800, 800 co-siders on a weekly basis. And they said, 800. And then they said, are you nuts? I said, well, you're the one who asked. Don't blame me on that one. Now, Now, question, and you know, duh. Do you think God wants us to be ministering to 800 people, 800 people hearing the message of Christ? Do you think so? You think so? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. Are we able to minister to 800 people right now? Absolutely not. Therefore, if we're expecting God to have an increasing, growing church, we need to start taking the steps now to accommodate them. So we could say, well, you know, um, there's still some empty chairs here, you know, but there's not 50 empty chairs here. So if God were to bring 50 more people here next week, guess what? We'd have to say, I'm sorry. We can't fit you here. Do you all understand how it, it works? So we begin to, to stay in advance and prepare for what we believe God's going to happen here. And this is where the vision for new wave began, by the way to reach an ever-increasing number of co-siders and build their lives on Christ. So how do we begin to do that? You know, well, 30% of our Happy Bay population has a Latino surname, okay? Comes from Mexico, or their families come from Mexico, or they speak Spanish, or their parents spoke Spanish, and so what do we do? We've got to reach those people for Christ, because what we're finding is the second and third generation are beginning to drop off. They're not going place. okay? They went to the Catholic Church, or their parents did, but now they're not going place at all but they still have a hunger for spiritual things. And their kids speak English better than they speak Spanish. So if they send them to a Spanish language church, the kids don't understand it. So we thought, well, heck, we speak English here pretty well. So we bring Yvette Moctezuma on, and she begins to expand our ability as a church to be more culturally able to adapt so that we can reach people that are somewhere in between the Mexican-American dash. One little girl came here um, in our her children's program, and she can't get enough of the Bible. She carries it around everywhere and keeps reading it. And so, um, her mom wondered what's going on. So her mom <coughs> came, saw that being introduced as helping to reach those of you know diverse culture, and she said, "This is the place that God is calling me to be part of me and my family." And in two weeks, we're going to baptize her. Um, Rosalva, would you stand, please? Would you please? <laughs> And, and we want to do some leadership pipeline stuff to say the measure of the effectiveness of our church is not just going to be how many people we can pack into this place. Um, it's going to be how many people, particularly youth, are considering ministry as a possible career path. If not full time, at least part time. How many are going to actually move into leadership positions? And also to prepare for growth, we've got to build. I mean, we've got to build. And, and that's why we that's why we got we to do it, because we're expecting more people to come. And I wish we didn't have to. I really, I really do. Because building is expensive, you know? You have to talk about dollar per square foot, and I hate that, and, and environmental impact studies because we're really near the creek, and we have to talk about building plans and city, and all this kind of consuming a lot of man hours, a lot of energy. But we have to do that. Only because we have to anticipate and stay ahead of what we believe God wants to do here, which is to bring more and more people in. We want to expand the children's ministry because we're getting ready for an increase in children. We are preparing for the future. Those five kids have accepted Christ. They're going to be excited about God, and they're going to start inviting their friends to come. And if we don't have enough room for them, we got issues. Um, we're going to expand the lobby. We're not expanding the lobby, not just have a really nice lobby, because I could care less about really nice lobbies. It doesn't matter to me what the lobby looks like, but people need to connect with each other, because your neighbors and your friends are going to start coming, and you're going to at- recognize them, and if people do not connect, and, and study after study has prove that, if people don't connect and have conversation, if they walk in and walk out, they do not stay. They just don't, okay? So that's a critical component for it. Does what we're going to do expand the auditorium? Not enough. But that's a parking issue, and that's a city issue, and we're working with that and trying to, to challenge all that, and, 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 and that's why we pray. Last time we went through this, we raised money for the post office next door. If you guys went through this, you remember. We, I, I had to get up, and I had to say, okay, we need to raise – we're running our space. We need to raise a million dollars. And they said, for what? It's like for a building. Well, where's the building? We don't know yet. <laughs> you know, we don't know yet. So blindly, this church family gave a million dollars, $1.1 we were going to buy the post office. That fell through. We ended up in this place here because the woman who owned this place, unbeknownst to us, had been praying for several years that when she sold it, a church would buy it. Okay? Boom. And, 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 and here we are. But God shifts gears, and we got this place because we took the steps of faith first. And so we're going to take steps of faith, saying, God, this is our best shot at this. So direct us different if you want. That's in your hands. But we want to do this for you. Last word, last word I want Jesus to say about this place is, is, is the word real. Now, what does that mean? Well, I, I know exactly what it means. It means not fake because we just don't want to play at this. When I was a kid, we had three levels of clothing, three levels of clothing. That's the way I could say it. We had our play clothes, we had our school clothes, and we had our what? We had our church clothes. And you guys have those? That was our vernacular for our church clothes. So we'd say, "Well, what do I have to wear to this thing?" You know, and mom would say, "School clothes." It's like, "Okay, that's good. Play clothes are fine. Okay, great. Church clothes." It was because I hated my church clothes. You know, they were—they well, were a lot like this. You know what I'm <laughs> okay. We had to button the top button. And I hated that. You know, because it would just throttle me all, all, all the time. And we used to go to church. We had to always wear our Sunday best. You got to wear church clothes to church. And 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 and, I would all say, "Why do we have to dress up to go to church?" And the answer was always, well, because we should always look our best for God. And I would say, as a kid, God doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care what's on the outside. And then my mom would say, well, then you got to look good for me. And I was like, all right, mom, let's <laughs> right, yeah. go. But I would sit there, and everyone would wear suits and ties, and I'd be wearing my little thing, a little bow tie, and all that kind of silly, silly thing. And, and I thought, why do we have to do this, you know? Yeah, and I even said, I remember as a kid, if I were a pastor, if I were a pastor, I would tell people, you can just wear whatever the heck you want, you know, i remember yeah. saying that. And also, we'd go to church, and we weren't allowed to share anything about problems at home. We had to pretend to be perfect. And I used to say, why do we have to do that? Because we know we're not. So I want this place to be a place of real people, and you guys are, where we're able and willing to share faults and problems, because we all got them. And we all got him to a greater extent, you know, than sometimes we even care to admit because we're all broken people. We just are. I want us to be a place of real people where we're able to share our faults and our failures because we are. I also want us to be a place where I would say there's a real God here, meaning not idols I'm talking about, where God is real in your life, where you can say, I experienced God in my life, and here's the difference he's made. And also I want this to be a place of real calling, we have a calling as a church to say we will never rest until another person comes to know Christ. I boast about you guys when, when I get together with, with other church pastors. They say, how's the church going? I said, man, I love these people. They're great. Um, I boast about how you're willing to do stuff beyond the comfort zone f- for other people. And I say one of the great privileges of of ministering in this place, of being in this place, you know, in Half Moon Bay, is better than, than any other place Think like in the United States, is people don't come here out of routine or out of habit. co siders don't do that kind of stuff. They don't come because they're supposed to or because that's the thing to do. Um, they come because they want God to do something in their lives. And I love that about you guys. I do. Hope of the world, I think, is a local church. People that are changed by God What a great time to be alive. It really is. And the new wave contains us preparing for what's next. That's what it is. It's just us saying this is what's next for us as as a church. And honestly, honestly, it would be a whole lot easier not to do this. It would be a whole lot easier not to do this, to say, look at that. We fill the building. We're happy the way we are. But we can't because there's a sense of calling because we see people. Okay? People matter. And I could say I'm too old. (laughs) It's too expensive. It's too much work. But that's not what God called us to do, is it? No. I'm going to invite Don Baker to come on up, and he's going to share kind of some of the nuts and bolts of this whole thing. He's been working nonstop on this whole stuff. So let's give Don Baker a hand. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Love you.